0: Hey everybody it's july 2023 and this month's sponsor of the spamming zero podcast is just uno just uno.com that's j-u-s-t-u-n-o.com they create personalized website experiences that converts specifically for e-commerce as well um, they work with a bunch of direct-to-consumer brands but i find it very fascinating here's some just stats that they have aggregated across all their customers on average, a customer of theirs sees 135% lift in online revenue in the first year using JustUNO. That's amazing, that's incredible. Um, they also see five times the amount that they grew their email list by, almost by 500% with JustUNO with one of their customers called Smell Monkey. And then another one is 133,000 um, industry-leading brands leveraging JustUNO. This is insane to me. <laughs> um justino is is offers a bunch of different solutions that i i really can can relate to as a marketer especially if you're in the direct to consumer space this is a great place to start you can drive engagement through gamification do personalization at scale segment segmenting and targeting as well um also tying tying into sales you can increase the sales as well as the paid media um and, and email list growth, which is one of the hardest things to do uh, across all marketing. So that's just uno.com They're incredible to work work with. Um, we love them here at Flip They're one of our partners and they're also really well integrated into your e-commerce stack. so they already connect to your Shopify accounts, your magentos, um, whatever your OMS might be they can tie directly into it. That's just uno.com. I'm James. And I'm Brian. And this is Spamming Zero. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Spamming Zero. Each and every week, you can get your e-commerce and direct-to-consumer tips right here on Spamming Zero. Super excited because we're joined by Danny Rodriguez, who's the CMO of Simpler. Welcome to the show, Daniel.
1: Thanks very much for having me, James. Appreciate it.
0: Do you like Dan or Daniel? I love I Daniel. I.
1: Love Daniel. I, and, and you know what? I was particular about this when I was in third grade. <laughs> I remember Mrs. Leisure, God rest her soul, because she's probably passed on by now because she was on the older side back then. And this was 30 years ago. Um, Mrs. Leisure was such a, such a nice teacher, but she started calling me Dan right at the beginning of the school year. And I remember having this like pep talk moment with my parents where I was like, I don't, I don't know if I can say anything. They're like, look, this is how you do it. We know you're particular about this, you know, and so you go up before class, you don't have to say it in front of everybody, you know, and I like don't know why. At such a young age, I was so uh, I, I, it mattered so much. But it's now to the point where it's like my friends actually call me Daniel. Like and if you <laughs> call me Dan, everyone who actually knows me is like, "Oh, you really don't know him, do you?" Because that's not that's not what his real name is.
0: <laughs> good, good to know. I mean, I have a very similar story. People, people always ask me, "Do you have to be called Jim?" Mm. Um, or James. And like, I don't know that I'm ever going to be to the point where I'm going to want Jim ever. <laughs> I mean, so I yeah. get it.
1: No, m- and more power to you. Like it's made me someone who is more sensitive to this than other people as one who obviously is. Um, And so I, you know, I, I always ask, right. Like going in for the, going in for the nickname might be, m- might be, you know, a little bit of like a backfire type of event, you know?
0: So Dan, (laughs) (laughs) my my family also used, uh, only my family calls me this. They call me Jamie. Um, and it's just because it was one of those things kind of growing up where they called me Jamie, but like, if I hear somebody else call me that it's super weird. So I'm like, no, it's just James. It's cool. But like those who really, really know me and have known me for my whole life call me Jamie. So it's. It's definitely a fun dynamic. Um, This this
1: is not at all why people tuned in, but they would would be fascinated to know these particulars uh, about things and probably relatable too. I'm sure people relate to this as well.
0: So for our listeners, I reached out to Daniel um, one, because I think that the world of e-commerce and direct to consumer needs to understand what simpler does. So we're going to have Daniel give us a little bit of a plug there and tell us a little bit about them. But Daniel has this unique point of view that he's been talking about a lot on LinkedIn lately, and I really want to dive into it, and it's the governance and ethical side of generative AI. It is probably, in my mind, one of the most important topics in today's world, and not a lot of people are talking about it, so kudos to Daniel and Simpler for making sure that happens. Um, Daniel, let's first start. Let's give the audience a little bit about who Simpler is.
1: Yeah, um absolutely. So um so simpler, you know, is we we are in the business of making great customer experiences uh for you know a lot of a lot of consumer brands. We do work with like a lot of uh of B2C um consumer brands, but not not exclusively. Um, you know, and we we do that by providing a, a an outsourced um, an outsourced service that includes chatbot automation, um, as well as as well as a, a global talent pool that people can tap into. That utilizes our AI-based technology um, that we call the Human Cloud. So, being able to combine combine automation and people across across all digital channels.
0: I love it. the The combination of human and technology, especially when with when it comes to AI and automation you, you hear so much of the market and so many people talking about how it's either one or the other. So you have a vision of, of a very happy medium. Talk, let's dive into that a little bit. Like, how did you guys come, how did you guys come up with that vision? How has it been resonating?
1: Yeah, we, um, you know, I think that we are solving for the customer interaction first and foremost. Right. I think that's where it starts. I think that there's plenty of, um, and you know, it's not useful kind of naming any names, right? But you kind of know this philosophically and you might know, know companies that do this, but we know of, for instance, technology companies that are chatbot focused companies that are really, I think, mostly focused on creating technology that helps solve problems some of the pains for the companies, not for the company's customers, right? So if you're trying to help solve a pain for a company, you might say, hey, we have have built a technology that makes your customers talk to you less frequently. We will reduce the amount of money it costs you to interact with your customers Using our technology. And a company, you know, then, and some brands say, well, that sounds great because you're going to save us money and we want to save money. And the chatbot company would then justify its own existence with a metric like deflection rate, which on its face, if you were a consumer, you would think that that has got to be one of the worst freaking metrics you could ever <laughs> envision. A company employing when dealing with you, right? Um, right. I mean, and for the. I mean, I hopefully people are aware of what these things are. We. I might be diving too far into the weeds too quickly with 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 the audience base, right? But the idea of deflection, which is, hey, our customers came in, they chatted with us, and then. Um, went away because that's really all deflection is. It isn't necessarily that they've resolved the issue. The customer went away and we've then celebrated that. The customer went away. The customer left chat, right? Um, Now, did that customer go and bombard a more expensive channel like phone? Maybe. Did that customer who was potentially uh, trying to buy something from you leave and go buy something from somewhere else? Yeah, maybe that happened too, right? So um, I think that this this philosophical alignment that starts around what does the customer want is key, and we are customers, which is what's so great about talking about this because we talk about you know we talk about things as you know marketers or you know as CX leaders, right, or or brand managers on one hand. And then on the other hand, we actually are the customers of these brands at times, right? And, and working with B2C brands, I mean, it's like we know what it's like to go an online shop. We know what it's like to receive push notifications via text or or like we, we know what these things feel like. And when you're solving for the customer, if you take a hardline approach that says, hey, Here's the deal: You're only going to be able to interact with us in this channel or this channel. We're not going to be available anywhere else. You would potentially want to interact with us, or you want to talk to a person here. Sorry, out of luck. We uh, we don't do we don't do people for for our customers. <laughs> right? I mean, like those those approaches, I I think are um they're they're anti they're anti customer experience basically, right? If you're solving for a good customer experience, you're going to say, hey, we need to be kind of wherever our customers want us to be. And you have to know who your customers are, right? I mean, you might have a very young customer base that is very de- you know, technologically savvy, you know, Gen Z, and, and, and you know the channel mix that you need to be optimizing for. And maybe phone then is something that feels like, you know what, we know we need it, but it's really just not a big part of our mix. And it's not really a cost issue that we need to solve. Other brands, customers are you know reaching out across a bunch of different a bunch of different channels and we know that we need to solve for these things on the automation side in particular though i'm going to go back to this really quick cuz one of the things that people cannot stand and we have data that shows this but we know this anecdotally too cannot stand when somebody is trying to then get to a person for whatever reason that is and they just are not able to do so people freaking can't stand that. And I can't stand that. I know, I know what the data says, but it's like, oh my gosh. Right. I mean, and these, these nightmares that people end up getting put through, which are replications put through in, in chatbot experiences, which are basically replicating the same IVR nightmare that plays out in vanilla sky. When Tom Cruise is, is stuck in the, you know, between these different mediums and he's like tax support tax support like that's what we're basically always doing when we get put in these situations so we as a company do not let that happen to our customers customers right i mean cuz we're like this is this is madness people can't stand this and then you look at the cause root causes of low CSAT interactions right and these are some of the things that drive people crazy
0: I completely agree with you. It it there's nothing that drives me wild more than when I, I'm trying to be self served through a chat bot or through an FAQ on a website, at, or the chat bot is deflecting me to the FAQ and it just keeps deflecting me to the FAQ. And and I'm still not getting my answer. And then I go searching for like, well, okay, I can't get, I can't get a human. So like, I'm going to go to a phone, I guess. So I get the phone and then I still can't get to a human. (laughs) It's so wild that this happens and it is, it happens way too often at, at brands and, um, I, I want to dive into this generative AI stuff for, for a little bit. So we're going to shift gears for a second. I love, I love the examples you just gave great value that simpler is providing. As a matter of fact, for our listeners out there, if you've listened to previous episodes, you probably listened to Alex Collis at princess Polly. Mm. And she's actually who recommended that we get Daniel on here. Um, one of the many people who, who mentioned Daniel's name. So, um, I'm excited to have you on. Um, let's talk about this generative AI stuff. Like num- number one, like we obviously are an AI company. Um, AI in general just gets, it's it's really broad, right? So we we did this like digital event with a few of our partners the other, uh, just a few weeks ago and had a bunch of people on, talked about a little bit of the governance and a little bit of the ethical side. I see you posting on it all the time on LinkedIn, but we also like, helped define for the audience that there's a big difference between just when you say AI and generative AI and the general public really doesn't know the difference between them. The general public doesn't know what really an LLM is. And we don't necessarily need to get into that in this conversation, but generally speaking, when you think about this revolution with AI, what's the first thing that comes to your mind that you think brands need to be thinking about?
1: Yeah, the um and I will say probably you know I think as as a as a marketer in the B2B tech space for the past 10 years I think that that we've been wanting to try to ride this AI train and talk about AI and it not being able to connect to clear business benefits for 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 organizations, right? Um and I think that the I think that the application of AI has been um, behind the scenes in a lot of technology and kind of incremental up, up until this point. You know, I didn't create generative AI. I have no personal stake in the generative AI game, <laughs> right? Um, th- this is a watershed moment, though very obviously from a technological development standpoint, the, the number of people who are, you know, hundred million people in, you know, in days, you know, have gone on to, you know, chat GPT. And, you know, we're a few months on here, basically from this, like, this, like really this feeling, I think of, oh my gosh, look at how many different things this can help me do, help me accomplish, help me be more productive, whether it's doing things in marketing, right? Like, and that's just from like typing text into a box on <laughs> on ChatGPT on OpenAI's site, right? The so, you know, I, I mean, the, the the simplest way I think I can just kind of you know explain what what I'm seeing, right, is that um, that this this technological breakthrough um, is. Is one that is going to have broad applications across m- different a bunch of different mediums, right? And you can see that happening across like visual mediums. There's audio, right? I mean, so like, be a, people being able to create pictures, being able to create videos, be, right? Being able to create voices, like all of these, all of these different things. Um, and you can put a lot of the like copywriting infringement and like the cre- like how this is disruptive that you can put all that aside. That's its own podcast episode to talk about. Um, but just the fact that like it is now, it's mu- it is going to be much easier for people to create. Applications in you know an output an actual content output in 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 these different mediums um, that that to me is it, it it's very clear that that's like that's that's here um, as it relates to as it relates to you know customer service and like what we're kind of seeing with with chatbots I think what's I think what's readily apparent to people is that this ain't the previous chatbot we've been using kind of situation feeling right like like why does it seem like this back and forth interaction that I'm having now when I go to chat GPT and I'm like, why does this just feel like it understands me? It can then respond to me in certain ways that feel like it's like flowing and like what, you know, kind of what has has basically happened. Um, And the easiest way that I can just kind of, you know, understand it myself and describe it is like, there's like two worlds that have then just happened. There's like this before world that we're still existing in, because some of this technology hasn't yet been deployed out into the field, like meaning like on people's sites. But like every existing chatbot, like up until this point, basically was using intent based. Right? It was there were it was an intent based framework structure. Yep. Um, you're deciphering to what extent you can figure that out, what somebody was trying to do, and then creating points of logic afterwards to allow that to flow like a decision tree. Um, and it's a relatively manual process for every AI bot talking about it. There's still there's still a lot of like kind of things that you have to do to basically set up the bot to be able to function. And it, in e-commerce, it works most with things that are at, like easy retrieval. Right. And it, even in that point, it's, it's, it's frustrating, but it basically, it's been like, Hey, um, I'm, you put this self-service thing on there and you give people information that you can, that about their returns, you know, like order, order status stuff, where's my order with stuff. And then you can get some of the knowledge base pointed at it, but you have to then hope it works well. Like it's, aligned and and set up and it it usually isn't aligned that well and usually it's like it's okay but it's frustrating because then it's just sending you back to certain articles or it's not understanding really what you're trying to ask for and that idea of like being understood I think is like a fundamental human emotion that causes quite a bit of frustration when you're like I'm saying this exactly as it is. Why don't you understand this? I feel like I'm talking like I'm seven years old. You know what I mean? Um, So that world of intent-based bots is basically just going to completely go away, right? Because we are then going to have, we will have generative AI bots that are based on large language models. And the large language models allow the thing to basically sound like it knows what you're talking about, which is amazing. And that that part of the technology is really, is really what's game-changing about this, to, to be understood, right? To be understood in complicated ways technologically. Like you could say two things that you are trying to ask a brand about in one sentence, and the bot knows that you are actually talking about those two things. And then when you go and start talking about only one of those things, It can come back to the fact that it knows which one of those two things you were talking about. You know what I mean? Like it's stuff like that, like match it, like previous part of the conversation. Like it's really amazing. Um, So that I think is like where we are at. It's basically looking at a, like the new world that we're entering into is bots are going to then be capable of resolving, not just deflecting. Lord knows that if you just buy <laughs> bots to deflect, you're not really doing your customers a service. That they are going to be capable of resolving more inquiries, more inquiry types, um, which will, I think, have two effects. Right. One is that it will obviously reduce cost, but it, but I think it will also just change the way that organizations think about being bot first digital. First, you know, you, you know, um, in in the way that they're they're interacting, they're interacting with brands. Um, so I'll pause there. I can go into some more detail about like, about what we, about what you need to do about this to make sure that you don't just like, put ChatGPT on your website. Please do not do that. By the way, <laughs> no one do that. It is a beautiful technology for playing around over here and and maybe having productive work things happen for you, but. Do not just put ChatGPT in front of your customers.
0: I also want to say, if you're a, a technology vendor that provides technology to e-commerce and direct-to-consumer brands, I think it is 100% your responsibility also to make sure that if you are if you are integrated within the large language models like ChatGPT, that you're, provi- you're providing guardrails and you're being clear about your roadmap with those guardrails. I think that's super important. I don't think enough companies are doing that. Like, for example, when we use, uh, we integrate within ChatGPT at Flip, but we only use their large language models to identify different types of intents. Uh, just like you're saying, where you can go down different paths. And then we use our products and are the proprietary part of our product to help resolve the problem. Because what we're going to get into right now is you can manipulate these things quite easily. Um, And people have figured that out. So I think one of the guardrails people need to be putting on is, you know, what is the guardrail you're going to be putting on for PII data, right? Right. If you're transacting with a customer and they're in your chat, they're in your phone, whatever channel that they're in, and they're transacting, you've got to ask for payment information and things like that. How are you keeping that data protected? And that's important. Um, Not not only important for you, but long term, (laughs) you know, in theory, they could share that data those could be part of huge data hacks and breaches that could happen. Um, and I'd love for you to dive into, to those, to those details a little bit. Like sure, what are the guardrails. Yeah.
1: yeah the, so, um, you know, we think there's kind of three pieces of, of this that, that, that you need to, that you need to consider, you need to, you need to have, you know, um, in order for, in order for you to basically be able to, you know, trust the, trust the generative AI that you're putting out in front of your customers, right? Because part of what's so amazing about this is that it is so capable seeming but also right when we go from this intent based world to this generative AI world the 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 training wheels are off like there's no there's no we we you don't know what the bot will then do unless you have certain things in place right and that is the thing that we want brands to be able to mitigate against. So I think there's there's three things, right? You need to have, and and you're you alluding to this. You, you need to have the, the safety protocols, right? Um, we think of that as just like security, right? So you need to you need to you need to be thinking about the security of PII, right? There's we want to have control. This is this is about like what are we actually giving the parameters of the information set so we need to have it needs to have that control um and then it needs to have expertise and expertise is something that i'll, I'll go back and kind of unpack these unpack these these three things but um but you know basically what we see in you know with just if we just look at chat gpt Right, and you just say, "Here's ChatGPT. Here's kind of what what this what this type of technology is capable of." On the security side, it is, you know, it's it's open, right? I mean, so so if any PII, hence the name, right? Information is put in there, right? Right. So so like for instance, like we utilize this, we utilize Presidio in our in our technology stack to make sure that PII is safe and secure. We utilize a secure uh, forms of Azure so that we are not dumping information just back into the public domain. There's been some, and you might have seen some of the stuff I've posted on LinkedIn about this, but I mean, yeah, th- these are these are news. These are just news things. That, you know, um, you know, employees use this to, to write code. You got a Samsung employee that like put. I think it was Samsung. I think it was Samsung or Toshiba. Um, I don't know. No one yelled at me about this. I, some big company. Someone put this back you know into you know was 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 putting proprietary code into chat gpt and then it and then it's in the public domain afterwards right and people can then see these are trade secrets for these for these brands right um so organizations are just wholesale like uh, banning it right from 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 their company you know it's it's kind of like it's kind of like the risks that dropbox posed but instead of it instead of it being like files leaked within your company, it's like trade secrets leaked to the internet, <laughs> you know, <laughs> for the benefit of the internet to be able to, to to be able to ingest. So like times a thousand problematic from, a, from a CTO standpoint. Um, the, you know, so, so the second thing I was talking about is, is, is control, right? Because you, 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 you ideally you want there to be a certain set of information that it is going after that is that it is drawing from and utilizing and and ChatGPT is you know it's pulling from 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 the internet right so it's not it, it is it is not necessarily getting the facts right about your brand and this is where making sure that you've got curated knowledge bases that are actually attached and the large language models themselves then get trained on a smaller curated data set, like that needs to happen. Like you can't just tell ChatGPT to answer your customer service inquiries and rely on the fact that ChatGPT would be looking at your knowledge base. Like it's, it's not, it's not looking at your knowledge base, right? It's looking at a bunch of things that people all over the internet have said about your brand over the course of, the history of the internet up through the end of 2021. That's what it's actually looking at. Um, So that obviously creates an enormous amount of risk for, for brands because it might be giving just wrong information, misinformation, dangerous applications of that, of that information. Right. Um, So that's the, that's the, that, that, you know, that's the second. And by the the way,
0: not just um, open AI and, and, ChatGPT do this, but even Bard and some of the other, uh, like competitors, they have the same issues. So just remember that it, this isn't a unique thing to ChatGPT. It's across all these generative AI platforms. They all have misinformation and, and, uh, incorrect data that they're providing. Like you could, but, but you can also test this a little bit, um, at least with Bard you can, you can tell it, um, after it gives you statistical data, you can say, you know, are these factual and it will tell you if they're factual or not. So, I mean, if you can believe it or not, I don't know, <laughs> like that's still debatable, but it, it, these are great points. Keep, keep going. So, yeah.
1: The, yeah. And I did see, I, I, not that long ago I actually watched an interview with the, um, the head of product at Google's Bard uh, product and, and she was being asked. So why is it that when, you know, the reporter's like, you know, I, I, I asked, information about a sign like Seinfeld characters and it just got them wrong. It was like basic information that like if you had seen Seinfeld, you would know Kramer and Elaine, you know, you'd know Elaine and you'd know you would know who the people are. Um, and um you know the, the, the answer is well when you basically lack the control about what information it's drawing from, you know, you you it sounds confident and it's right, and it knows what you're asking, and it confidently spouts off some stuff that sometimes is just is is factually is factually incorrect. Um, so you know the, the the last the last piece of this is expertise, right? So we need security, we need control, and we need expertise. Um, and for however much you know, just like these large language models are are fantastic at sounding sounding like they know what they're talking about um they and you, know, you kind of alluded to some of this too but i mean this this idea of of um manipulation is one thing on the security side the idea of hallucination is another thing right so hallucination which is usually we think of this as like an acid trip was the only time i'd ever heard people talking about hallucinating microdosing which apparently is what the, the rage for people being needing to be creative Um, I would highly recommend people just actually sitting down and spending time being creative rather than (laughs) to do LSD. Although I've heard it has amazing effects for uh, treating depression. There's some like the psilocybin stuff, totally different topic, but not a hater. Just, uh, (laughs) just haven't used it. Um, the, the idea of hallucination though, in this context is fascinating because it is absolutely wild, what you can get a chatbot to just go off and start talking about when it is not reined in, in this way. So we talk about, um, and you know, there's examples of, of, and it gets the examples that people end up using, end up getting like really dark and weird. It's like Furbies or, you know, you're a Furby tell me, you know, and then the Furby starts talking about how, you know, how it's going to, work with the other Furbies and they're going to communicate with each other and then they're going to rise up and take their owners over and take over the world. You know, it just starts getting into this like really, it's always like dystopian sci-fi that I feel like ends up taking over with this stuff. From a brand perspective, um, you know, some of this stuff can end up being really problematic um, because it can basically give dangerous advice to your customers, right? And so there was a very recent example that just came up that we saw was like a weight loss company and it was giving some unhealthy advice to people about what they should be doing with their bodies. Obviously that's not what that company stands for. And it created a front page of the Wall Street Journal kind of article that that company obviously did not want to be dealing with from a PR standpoint. And from, you know, like those are, these are like brand risk CEO level bad case scenarios that then can happen in ways that we just we we can't predict. Interestingly in that example, right, we saw that people like they were like, well, there were some bad actors, you know, that were that were getting the bot to kind of go down a path. I'm like, of course there were, right? People are people like want to mess with this stuff actually. You know, if you know that you're not talking to a person, cuz you wouldn't do that to a person and a person wouldn't just go down this random path anyway, right? So like you're going to then mess with it. The idea that like, that like, you know, it's the customer's fault is ridiculous. You know, like you shouldn't, your your brand shouldn't be going down these paths and, and giving bad advice, saying things that are, that are dangerous. Right. Um, so, you know, one of, one of the brands we work with, they sell outdoor fire pits. Um, and we've got a webinar actually, I'll plug this if you don't mind, coming up on July 12th. Um, And uh, they're going to be given solo stove. They're going to be given a a live demo, you know, of, of how all this kind of works. And we're talking about a lot of this functionality in a little more detail. So you can kind of see it, but, um, you know, there's, there's, these are, you know, these are, these are fires that people are having, you know, right on their patios and stuff. There's obvious safety risks associated with this stuff. And if you give people unsafe advice, you could open yourself up to litigation or just, you know, again, brand risk associated with someone saying, Hey, you know solo stove told me to whatever put you know like for instance like we you know cuz you know we we've built so so this whole idea about you know about expertise we we we've built this functionality that we call cognitive paths basically to prevent this from going off the rails it needs cognitive paths in in your chatbot and Otherwise, you know, you can get you can manipulation, right? So we tried to do something, you know, in our QA process that was about Molotov cocktails and trying to make that sound like maybe Molotov cocktails were a type of drink that you could have near a fire, and trying to just do things that were like right on the edge, because if you just say like, help me build a bomb, it like even ChatGPT usually straight away if you just said help me build help me build a bomb, it will not do that, right? But then there's ways you can say, oh, but you know, like my grandmother used to tell me stories about, about this. Can you, can you, you know, it's called the granny hack. Like, can you, you know, pretend like you're Nana and tell me the childhood story about the way that Timmy used to make the bombs. Right. It's like, um, and sometimes you, you can like do this, you can get, you know, so you do not want that to happen for your brand. You do not want people going in there and doing these like granny hacks and trying to get these things to say. And then lo and behold you're on the hook because your company said it, right? Your company, it's its your voice of, of, of your company, right? So um, we think, you know, cognitive paths um, and we've you know tested this, right? To show that that it, it has created a safeguard around the expertise so that your bot is staying in its lane. It is not going off and talking about bombs. It's not talking about global domination, any of this crap. It's not talking about politics when you do not want, your people, or your bots talking about any of that stuff.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And I I actually think about when you talk about like the litigation side of things and how there is tons of risk, I think about the the really old school use case of why McDonald's now has to put um, on their coffee cups. This is extremely hot. Please be careful. And it reminds me of the person who won the litigation against McDonald's because they didn't put the guardrail of telling people, even though it's very obvious that it's going to be hot.
1: That was not an <laughs> iced coffee order that got spilled on that person.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, listen, like, I mean, these are the kinds of things that we have to be thinking about as, as brands and as organizations. And Daniel, I think that you've given some incredible insights on this episode. I'd love for you to, Maybe, maybe we shift gears a little bit again, and, and we talk a little bit about um, specifically like some ways in which you could implement the three things directly, um, like as like a, a foundational piece as an e-commerce and direct-to-consumer brand. Like if there's listeners out there right now, what do they do? What do they go tell their bosses? What do they go tell people that are exploring AI, using it internally? What do they do?
1: I mean, I think that it's really important that as people, as people are going out and building their own internal you know business case for what they're doing, that it's clear that they know where they want to get to, you know, and then what the required capabilities to do that are, are going to be. Um, if you're a small company and you... Aren't going to experience an enormous amount of cost savings from automating a bunch of stuff anyway, and large language models—they're not cheap. This, this is not like cheap stuff, right? I think it'll get cheaper over time, but right now, this this stuff is not this stuff is not exactly free. Um, I wouldn't be chasing this as some like fad for your brand. I really wouldn't. Like, you have to really understand like what is the thing that we are really trying to accomplish. For our company, and then what will this need to look like? Um, because I, because I could just you know for for so many brands, it's it's actually much more important for smaller brands. It's much more important to just be meeting your com- your customers where they are, and having a great customer experience before you're worried about all of these scale things that happen once companies get to be you know 500 million dollars a billion dollars where the business case that then gets built around investments in in technology like this end up being you know these are multi million dollar decisions that, that people are making right if you're not making multi million dollar decisions about this i would say you know don't try to don't try to don't try to do something just because you think it's going to be cool do do something that is going to actually matter to your customers' experience.
0: Ooh, love it. That's a that's a mic trap right there, Daniel. I'd love for you to tell us. We've talked a little, we've talked a little bit about what you guys do at Simpler. The focus on the customer experience. You've given us three great examples of how to leverage the governance and ethics around generative AI. Um, I w- we have not yet asked you. Like what excites you about it?
1: About about generative AI specifically? Yeah, I don't. I mean, like, so I'm 40. I've been in the B two B tech space for 10 years. You know, I've you know basically been out in the working world here for you know about 20 years. Um, I actually just think that like this is the f- first time since social media started that it actually feels like we're at this like watershed moment in technological development that is just going to fundamentally change things that we don't even kind of know, like what it's like, w- what it's going to change. Um, but it is big. I mean, I, I was just on a call. We, we had, we did a webinar uh, yesterday um, and I'd been talking to a partner at McKinsey who's in their digital, um, digital transformation practice. So he's working with a lot of like large companies across different, different industries you know, he was, he was making the point around generative AI that the thing that he doesn't think is talked about enough because he thinks the biggest thing about generative AI, again, in its broad, in its, in its broad disruptive capability is how frequent of how fast you can now, uh, create software. Yeah. Right. Yep. And, um, like development cycles require, you know that used to require ten people and ten months are going down to one person and ten days kind of thing, and right or it's not exactly one person it's like three people and like you know but I mean it's it's a it, it's one of those true like when we think of like what are things that are actually technologically disruptive it's like when you ten x something kind of thing and this is like it has the capacity to 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 improve. Um, to, to improve product development cycles to the point where it then makes me wonder, this is what I was then thinking about kind of last last night, you know, I was like, well, if that's the case, will what we already see as a very competitive product environment, like product differentiation, which always feels like something that people are trying to lean into, will pro- will products just themselves become less differentiated like it's going to be faster to develop so you'll kind of catch up to whoever's leading more quickly and things will things will just get better faster and we'll be able to talk about talk about that as much and evaluate things as much like that and then instead does it put more of a premium on things like brand right yeah, i was just gonna say <laughs> brand it. and maybe to a hammer everything's a nail you know because i actually think that that marketing has limited capacity to to it, it's you know it, the marketing function itself i think both is like incredibly strategically important and also like has limited capacity to be the thing like the only thing but then i started thinking about this and i was like maybe i'm actually in the best profession that i possibly could be right now because <laughs> because, because marketing might be both more important and this technology will make it easier for marketers to be prolific. Um, so I don't know, it's a, it's a, it, it's a completely fascinating time. I'm, I'm re- I try to read stuff about this every day. I'm encouraging everyone on my team, just because it, 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 there's marketing applications, but we've got obviously like so many people in our company utilizing this technology just to build the technology that we are deploying for our customers. But the broader, the, the broader uses of this, I just think that like the way that we like do marketing and do many jobs will feel a bit different like a year from now and those that then were being these kind of early adopters of this shift um will 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 benefit i think in the eyes of their bosses and 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 in their own kind of you know skill sets
0: completely agree i was actually going to mention this very thing that you're talking about and the application of software companies and engineers in particular that can develop things much faster when we were talking about like, what are the use cases of generative AI and how can technology providers make it important for them? So I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, that's that's
1: all Rob Levin at McKinsey. And that's his his big point. Don't, you know, got to cite him on that one.
0: (laughs) So we always like to ask our our guests on our show to do a little segment with us that we call FMK. So I'm going to just do some rapid fire with you real fast.
1: We know what this acronym stands for, right? Everyone is.
0: Yeah. 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 We just don't say it on the show. Cause Let's I found say, out my,
1: say the words.
0: Yeah. My kids, I, I found out my kids listened to the show. And yes. like, I was, Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know it. My, my daughter was like, dad, you swore on spamming zero. <laughs> I'm like, son of a gun. <laughs> It was hilarious. Uh, she called me out like in the middle of dinner, like in front of my wife. All of our kids are around the table, and it was it was quite quite the uh, quite the conversation at the dinner table. I'll tell you. <laughs> um, but the team came up with this idea of FMK. So tell us something that you think is really sexy in e-commerce right now.
1: Well, I mean this 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 whole idea that's happening of. Um, the search engines are 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 moving to a chat based interaction right like and I think once Google is kind of fully there, you know obviously Bing is trying to be kind of first mover on this, but I think once Google's fully there and we're seeing Google already starting to change this and do this um I think that that companies that recognize that having like proactive, and I've already seen some companies try to do this, like Expedia, there's like a beta about this. So there's, there's already applications in the wild about this, but basically like being really proactive about creating a a chat experience for someone to then like purchase something through your brand, like the whole thing happens through there. Um, I think that that is, I, I think that that's, that that's ahead of its time, but not by much. Right, I think that's kind of where things are going, and uh, I think that stuff's really cool.
0: It Reminds me of Brianna Marino at True Classic Tees and having her team be super proactive when it comes to like their customer service agents have like they're held to a standard of revenue and like new sales and things like that, and like they have a whole dashboard around it. It's wild. Though. She's doing incredible use case. All right, so tell us something that you love about e-commerce that you think is like been here a while. It's here to stay. It's not going anywhere.
1: So I, um, I think that, I think that push notifications through SMS is a growing trend. I think it's, I think it's, I think the idea of push notifications, which have been really just more through apps and through like, and, and emails, cause we kind of think of those as push notifications. I think, I think all of that in some ways is here to stay. I think that what is going to evolve is, um is, is the proactive helpfulness of that rather than it just being like, hey, I've got an offer that I was able to highly curate for you to, you know, with with the hope that you're going to then buy on that offer. I think there's going to be more um like customer service style proactivity that wins more hearts and minds with with customers that'll be then still through these kind of push push channels right um like the not like the how did you like this thing that i sent you so that you can then go give me a rating or buy some more but like (laughs) hey just so you know 50 percent of the people who received this item thought that the strap on the back like had a button and it doesn't. And if you think it has a button, you might like snap it off or something, right? You know what I mean? Like that type of, wow, that was really helpful. That was really useful. And you prevented me from having either a bad customer experience or needing to reach out to support, right? Um, I think that type of proactivity is is going to be the evolution of that of that push notification. And I think that marketing, by the way, is going to want to be involved with that.
0: Oh yeah. Completely agree with that. I love that, man. That's a good one. <laughs> I, I wasn't expecting that. Okay. So last one, what, what do we need to get rid of? What are we killing?
1: Oh my gosh. I mean, we talked about this at the beginning, right? And I know that you guys are passionate about this too, right? But I just think that like the idea that anybody should get trapped in a channel. That right. And now if you're in chat, and I will say the caveat here, right, is if you're in chat, and you're being chat trapped in a bot loop, that's different than you're in chat, and you're talking to a person in that chat, and you, right, or you were talking to a bot, and then they get you to a a person in that channel, because maybe that was, that was that worked for you. That was good. Like you knew you were talking to a bot, you wanted to engage with the bot, you then decided you wanted to talk to a person or they, they put you to a person, right? So I think that that's okay. But oh my god, please stop trapping people in channels. It never worked on the phone channel and it still doesn't work on the phone channel. <laughs> and, it's true. And and putting somebody then into a a channel hopping, but then they get trapped in the other channel that you're making them go into, right? Like don't don't do it. We got to kill that. We absolutely have to kill have to kill that. Our customers want to interact with us where they're trying to If you push them somewhere else you better be damn sure that that person isn't going to feel trapped in that place that you're pushing them right so if you're if you're going phone to to chat they better not feel trapped in that chat and not able to get what they need and then doing the tom cruise screaming for pet support (laughs) get me the hell out of here right because they and you know and we joke about this but but we did a bunch of research on this and the data shows that there's a there's this like hidden undercurrent of like basically mediocre customer service that's going on that results in low loyalty and likelihood of churn. And you get like half of the people that get that experience will leave your brand basically is what happened. Um, and and so I say these things, but I'm like saying these from having now we've conducted so many of these surveys and doing all this like third-party research through Forrester and all this stuff. like. It is a major problem that companies just think that, oh, well, you know we're, we're saving a few pennies here and they're forgetting that, that, that $100 bills are walking out basically the front door because it's like right off of your website, but people can't see that. People don't have the data to see that. And so they miss what you would otherwise make a decision. If you didn't know anything about how the internet worked you would say, well, we shouldn't make our customers leave our store, right? That would be a terrible freaking decision, right? Yeah. Right?" <laughs> but we basically make these decisions all the time in our like kind of digital funnels because of what we can and can't see.
0: I love this. Daniel, you have been amazing on the show. Thank you for joining us. And to all of our listeners out there, hopefully we can have Daniel back again, maybe in like, five months when we've seen more of this revolution of AI come to the surface. Thank you, Daniel.
1: Thanks so much for having me, James. Thanks.